HHW presents Hard Boiled by the Legion of Dudes. Forced to live in an air-conditioned suit that keeps his body temperature down to 50 degrees below zero. No wonder his mind is warped. Of course he wants revenge. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Now open your mouth and let's have a look at that brain. Can you dig it, dig it, sucker? It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. It's another episode of A Half Hour Wasted presents The Legion of Dudes. Guys, we're doing a one-shot today on Frank Miller and Jeff Darrow's awesome book, uh, Hard Boiled. Joining me now is The Legion of Dudes. What's up, people? Hey, how's it going? This is Dan. Hey, what's up? This is Jim. And this is John. Well, guys, this is Adam. Be sure to check us out at thecomicforums.com under the Half Hour Wasted forum. Also, check us out at Half Hour Wasted or thelegionofdudes.com to stream our episodes live. We are going to go in head deep. This is actually our second Frank Miller book we do. We are the Frank Miller Appreciation Society. I can't wait till we do Sin City. But before we get to the book discussion, uh, Dan, who's going to be our host and moderator today, um, you got to some discussion topics to talk to us about today? Yeah, I thought we'd uh, talk a little bit about alternate realities because that actually plays a pretty... A, a bigger role than I think a lot of, that it, you see on the surface in this book. So I thought maybe I'd go around and ask everybody what their favorite alternate reality is in comics. Well, how many have you been to? Uh, several, depending on how many LSD tabs I've taken that day. I've so. <laughs> a couple in college, but... <laughs> <laughs> in comics, I like Bizarro World a lot. That, that was mine. <laughs> that qualifies, right? Did you guys read the... Um, Escape from Bizarro World, Jeff Johns, um, Eric Powell trade. Yeah, I, re- I actually read those issues. I don't know what was possessing me at the time, but I did read those issues. I have a feeling that's going to play into the new Krypton stuff coming up pretty shortly. Yeah, well, yeah, this last Marcy issue. had a good take on uh, Bizarro World 2 and uh, All-Star uh, Superman, where there's yeah. one, the one person out of the million who is actually sane and knows what they're doing, Zabaro. He's like the, the the mutant Bizarro who's so mutated that he's normal. Is that the first All-Star trade, or is that... Um, two. Two. Yeah, yeah the second one. You know, it's not um, comics. Well, I guess they did have a comic run for a while, but um, it's funny. I just plowed through that Planet of the Apes um, box set, and that's a, uh, that's a there's an alternate reality for you. <laughs> well, it doesn't have planet to be comics, where apes evolve from men? <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah, the the reality. You blew it up. The reality that I never dropped eighty bucks on that crap. There's an alternative reality I'd never like to go to. Oh my god, those are so good. <laughs> Just a child. Ape shall not kill ape. Dude shall not this... kill dude. Not yet. <laughs> give me another half hour. <laughs> yeah, give it time. Do you think hard boiled is as much an alternative reality as? I always thought of it as like a dystopian future rather than an alternate reality, but are those two the same things? I guess they could be. 
Well, the reason I brought up alternate reality is because this actually, you'll appreciate this, John, if you don't already know it, this actually has a lot of um, strings tied to it from The Matrix. Really? Um, The Matrix movies, yeah. um, It's based on a book by uh, Philip K. Dick called The Electric Ant, and um, The Electric Ant is sort of like hard-boiled meets The Matrix. It's basically, uh, this guy is in a flying car crash in the future, and then he wakes up and finds he's an electric ant, which is like a giant organic robot, and uh, he finds out, like, the more he finds out, he believes his, like, his reality is in a uh, micro punch tape in his chest, and he starts, like, putting holes in it to change his perception of what his reality is. (laughs) And the Wachowskis actually pulled a lot from... Hard boiled and the electric ant. Did and they pull Jeff- the crap? Well, where did they, did they pull the crap from the electric ant or the good stuff from it? Because the Matrix number two and three was terrible. <laughs> that's you know what? That's another show because we can we can fight that out. Uh, let's you do know. it now. <laughs> let's I, uh, let's fight no. the apes and the second two Matrix movies in one. Uh... I have to know a little bit about Philip K. Dick. I did an independent study on him in, in college where I was getting my English degree. Actually, he was a really interesting guy. I mean, Blade Runner, Total Recall. Uh, we're all spun out from Philip K. Dick ideas. And he was one of the very first. Yeah, yeah, Skinner Darkly, you're right. Uh, he was one of the very first people to come up with the concept of, of cyberspace or uh, virtual reality long before the technology was anywhere near that. Is this uh, close to, it, Jim, is this close to, like, cyberpunk, his stuff? Well, he, he's kind of seen as the godfather of cyberpunk because he was writing in the oh. 60s, long before you know cyberpunk came along. But he was... Dealing with ideas like, um, you know, the drug war long before the drug war or the eighties, uh, alternate realities like Dan was talking about, and also the virtual realities. There's this one book called the uh, the Three Sigmata of, of Palmer Eldritch, where people the only way they can survive being in these harsh colonies in outer space is by playing this uh, mind game, where um is and it, he's basically pre-telling virtual reality decades before it happened. I think that's why so many of his ideas have been farmed into films. Um, like I said, Blade Runner, Total Recall, Skinner Darkly, like you said. They butchered so many, too. Like, isn't um, Paycheck his? Pay- Paycheck is, yeah. And there was also a movie with Gary Sinise called Imposter that was based on a Philip K. Dick short story. Screamers? Wrote a lot of... I don't know about that one. I think Screamers, he, um, I'm sorry, wasn't it called, um, oh, I'm not going to remember the name of the original story. It was a Philip K. Dick story. Um, forget it. It'll come to me in like two hours. Is that the one, the Gary Sinise one, is that the one with the dude had the bomb in his chest? That's it, yeah. Yeah. A second variety. Second like, variety, that's right. That was the right. name of Screamers before it was the movie. It was called a second variety. Well, anyway. this whole thing about um, the artificial being not being able to tell their real life from fake life because they, they have imprinted memories or whatever is this theme we see in Blade Runner, and we also see it here in Hard Boiled. Did you guys see um, AI by uh, Steven Spielberg oh. after Kubrick died? The only movie I have ever walked out of in a theater. First the 30 movie. minutes were great, but those are the parts that Kubrick wrote, so. <laughs> <laughs> I went to that movie on a date, and it's like we couldn't really get up and walk because I thought she was some kind of cool, like, alternate chick. Yeah, I should, we should have walked out of that. To be yeah. That was just a terrible relationship and a terrible start to it. I should have known better. <laughs> I never but, uh, saw it because I was warned off of it, so I guess I'm not missing anything. Watch Battlefield Earth. You'll have a better time. <laughs> not much. Not much. But... No, I won't. 
Is this so much alternate dimensions as it is, like, possible Earth outcomes? Because I would say, you know, like, like Earth-X, that's a cool, like, possible future for the Marvel Universe. I mean, Dan, you have a page for that one, right? Yes. Yes, I do. And, um, well, Kingdom Come, Earth-22, that's a pretty obvious example as far as uh, future goes. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, that's what I was kind of getting at. I mean, like, I, I think of an alternative reality as, you know, something where you have that point in time where something changes the stream of, of events. You know, like, um, for instance, right, or, or Planet of the Apes, for instance. You know, when they, when they go back in time and send the apes that speak back, you know, it reverses or it, you know, loops the whole events in a different manner. You know, I don't know if there's anything like that here. It just seems to be like a, a bad look at the way we're headed. I also like um, Mixus Pitlick's, what is he in, the fourth, the fifth dimension? Or is that Bat Knight? You're the DC guy. He's a, um, well, fourth or fifth, it doesn't matter. But that's always a pretty good uh, Superman animated episode whenever Gilbert Godfrey's voicing Mixie or something like that. Those are pretty good episodes. I believe he is a fifth dimensional being from the uh, land of Quard. No. What? Quard's <laughs> the antimatter universe, dude. That's the Nestro. I don't know. Yeah. The Weaponeers of Quard. I remember that from the Sinestro Corps War. The, um, the thing about the, the hard boiled that, that you, know, you were mentioning, Philip K. Dick or whatever, it didn't strike me so much as alternate realities as uh, different imprinted memories this guy had you know, in his circuitry. Um, he keeps he keeps holding on to this like false memory all through the story, you know, even when his face has been blown off. And uh, it's just I don't know. It, but anyway, my favorite alternate reality would have been Earth Two, uh, pre Crisis. Right. I was a big fan of uh, All Star Squadron, and I really like a lot of the ideas that Johns is bringing into it, like with the idea of legacy. You know, um, you know, passing down of a mantle, like you know, from one generation to another, and. I'm seeing a lot of that now in JSA, but um, yeah, if I, alternate realities I have to go with Earth Two. You know, DC's Earth Two was probably one of my favorites. That and the Days of Future Past, which I think we'll be doing in a future episode uh, from X Men from the uh, Burn and Claremont run. That was always an interesting alternate reality as well. Good what story. About, what about your favorite cyborgs? Robocop. Oh my God! You walked right Six into a dollar man. But uh, Bionic Woman. <laughs> <laughs> Angela Lansbury. Uh, oh, Dan, why don't we jump into this uh, right. to this book? <laughs> the point I was trying to make about twenty minutes ago, though, is actually um, Jeff Darrow is actually the conceptual designer on all three Matrix movies. Oh, so like when you see those like real like tentacly crazy robots that the have Sentinels, like, yeah, and they have like they're just made up of like look like old car parts and, like, video screens. He did all of that, too. It reminded me a lot of the uh, the French artist Mobius, like the way that everything is hyper-detailed, all that, like, really fine line work in all of this art. It's just, I mean, it must have taken, you know, Herculean effort to, to do all that detail in each line and everything. It just, and um, that clean line work just really makes me think of Mobius. I don't know if you, if you guys are familiar with him at all. He used to draw for heavy metal magazine, and uh, I think he did a Silver Surfer graphic novel uh, back in the 90s as well. Mobius. Isn't that what Metron sits on, the Mobius chair? <laughs> yeah, this is M-O-E-B-I-U-S. He's a French artist. I think that is, too. Oh, well. Anyway. 
The art is crazy, and Dan, you probably had the best description of this book that I could think of. <laughs> yeah, it's like a really effed up Where's Waldo. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I mean, hyper-detailed is like, that doesn't even do it justice. That You could look through this book forever and not see the same thing. The thing about um, the individual issues is, before this was collected in trade, and this, they collected this... Um, when did we see this, Dan? We were out, and it was right after we saw 300, we went to the bookstore. And, yeah, I'd um, known about it for a long time, but I'd never really seen it in um, a trade format. But it was on sale, so I picked it up. And Yeah, this was right after 300, so uh, you got your Frank Miller fix times two that day when we saw that. But after they collected it, I, I mean, I think it's important to point out that, you know, late issues and all that other stuff aside, when this came out in... Um, a three-issue format, the periods of lateness between each issue were crazy. Like, Ultimate Hulk versus Ultimate Wolverine crazy late, you know? They're finishing that. It yeah, just they're also re-soliciting it. Did you see that garbage? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Anyway. Like Daredevil Target crazy? <laughs> now, these, um, they had to be, like, oversized issues, right? It was only three issues. Right. And what year was that? Do we know that? Uh, it was 88 it came out. So Frank Miller had a little cloud at that point. He'd done the dark, he'd done the uh, year one. and um... Yeah, this was actually the first, this was kind of designed to bring Dark, Ho- dark Horse to the forefront and really give them a leg up. So this is like the first like Dark Horse big comic. Yeah, uh, Miller ended up also doing the, well, with Dave Gibbons, the uh, Martha Washington series for Dark Horse about the same time, I think. Late 80s, early 90s. Let me ask you guys a question, though, about this series. How much do you think Frank Miller did? Do you think he did the breakdowns and then Darrow went in and did all the detail? Or do you think it's more like a Mazzucchelli thing where he just probably, like, plotted out the action and the uh, you know and, and Darrow went in and, and drew most of it? Uh, what do you guys think? If you look at some of the prelim work, Frank uh, doesn't look like Frank did the breakdowns on this. I think Darrow did. If you go to uh, Comic Art Fans, we'll put a link up and search for Hard Boiled. You can see some of the prelims and stuff that Jeff did. Uh, I think, I mean, they obviously had to meet about the book to figure out what kind of a comic exactly or experience that this would be, but I'd have to put my money on This Is All Darrow. Yeah, well, this was actually, um, during the time it came out, artists and writers were really trying to come out as, like, these giant forces that were just themselves. And uh, this was really, I think, as Frank Miller stated, was really supposed to be a real like collaborative effort. So I don't think Frank Miller really pushed the art as much. He wanted to work with somebody who he really admired as far as an artist goes. So I think he just kind of said, this is what we're doing. Go to town. And obviously Jeff Darrow didn't disappoint. Well, it's super interesting to me because I mean, you look at hard boiled and how detailed and on all this line work and how crazy all the detail is in all of the art. And then you look at Sin City which is almost the exact opposite, you know what I mean? It's like as spare and as sketchy and as blocky as possibly could be, and yet they're both from Frank Miller. You see what I mean? Yeah, I mean, as, as far as Frank Miller stuff goes, this is really a disconnect with the art. I mean, he's, just like you said, it's not like, Frank Miller is not a detail guy, and so this must yeah. have been a pretty big stretch for him to go along with it. And it's weird because, like, I seem to think that Hard Boiled versus Sin City, I seem to think that this is the more realistic and believable of the two. 
Yeah, well, Sin City is so minimal. You know what I mean? With its just use of, of you know, the the darks and the inks and everything and uh, negative space. Exactly, and then this is like so full. I mean, every inch of pretty much every panel in this comic is full of detail or or little uh, you know in jokes or whatever. Yeah, even like I'm looking at. Uh... I guess it would be page three, and there's the splash page of our, quote, hero um, standing in front of, like, a wall filled with graffiti. Um, and the amount of graffiti on the wall, and, like, I mean, you can stop and look at each, you know, there's no scribbling there. I mean, there's something written in in every one of those spots. Yeah, we'll get to a, a scene later where he's in a car accident, and you can see all, like, the garbage in his car flying up and out, <laughs> and every single... Rapper has like a slogan and a like either a joke of a brand name or some made up brand name. The I mean I I don't even want to know how long these pages would have taken to done do. Uh, so starting with issue one, we're uh, introduced to Nixon, our main character throughout the book. Uh, basically, issue one starts out with a knockout dragout fight between a robot and a car, and then uh, Nixon you find out is completely mangled. And he's taken back to uh, Williford Home Appliance, which is sort of the massive conglomerate company, I guess, that's, yeah, basically Halliburton, Blackwater, whatever you want. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, he's taken back and rebuilt and given back to his quote unquote family um, to start again the next day. What do you think of the similarities between this and the sci-fi, I guess, cyberpunk aspects of this and, and the corporation versus the sci-fi elements of Frank Miller's Ronin? Because I think there's a pretty big similarity between the two. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, you know, Miller's dystopian future is big business running everybody's life. And, you know, making you docile and making you conform. Or at least institutionally, because, you know, with Ronin, you know, you have kind of the same setup, but I think it's more like institutions, because if you look at Miller's, you know, view of the future in Sin City, it's institutions like the church. Um, it's institutions like uh, the police, you know, uh, things that should be for, you know, public interest as well, not just companies. Right. Yeah, it's a theme that Miller uses a lot. I mean, not only in Ronin, but, I mean, if you look in The Dark Knight, the way uh, he portrays the media in The Dark Knight Returns, uh, the way he portrays the corporation here, and the way he portrays the uh, institutions like you're talking about, Adam, in uh, the Martha Washington series. I mean, the, one of the main villains in that is the Surgeon General. You know, so it's a thing that it's something that Miller has used in a lot of his different works. Year one, he did the same thing with the cops and the corruption uh, with Gotham sent with, yeah, Gotham Central, Gotham City Police Department. And I'm looking at my bookshelf with all the Miller stuff on here. All-Star Batman, not so much. <laughs> um, but I would say that for Dark Knight Strikes Back, um, the way uh, Luthor and Brainiac kind of do the same kind of conglomer uh, conglomeration and relationship that those two have, and actually, hey, Ronald Reagan in, in the earlier one, too, was a, a, a big uh, key political figure that had the same effect. Right. And I'm looking at um, the big, giant splash page where they introduce, I guess, like the head of the company, the huge, fat, like, gluttonous slob guy. 
um, which is a statement as well, you know? How he's having how he's having dead babies and burgers and fries pumped into his veins. Yeah, <laughs> and it reminded me. Um, did, did any of you guys see Wally? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah all the people in the Barker loungers. Yeah, yeah. It kind of reminded me of this future where you know everybody uh, has all their you know everything pumped into them without them having to do anything, and they just kind of all get fat and. Gross. It kind of reminded me of uh, Baron Harkonnen from the Dune movie. Yes, I don't know yes. if you guys remember that. Yeah, the fl- bring me the floating fat man. Yeah, or even in Blade. Um, is it Blade or Blade Two where there's a giant fat like vampire dude that Blade has to get information out of, and he like hits him with a UV lamp and like starts oh, burning one. him in his fat chair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is also kind of the same for Mojo from the X Men universe. So I really plugged into the machine there. But, uh, yeah, and it's so weird because, uh, you know, Fatty over there, he's so, you know, docile. We'll see him at the end of the book, but he's he's more or less, you know, waves his hand and everyone just kind of caters to his whim. I, I, got, a, I got a very, very Kingpin vibe, and I don't – maybe he pulled that from uh, his Daredevil run. I don't know if Kingpin was in that when Miller was doing Daredevil, but uh, that's, that's oh, what kind of uh, came out into my brain. The art style is just, it's a really weird mix of like that European uh, uh, heavy metal art style and anime in a lot of ways. The, the robot, especially the one female robot that Norman keeps talking to in issue one, reminds me very much of like Ghost in the Shell. And uh, a lot of the, uh, the mechanisms and whatnot look very anime influenced. It's cool how it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm over at the splash page now, a few pages in, where they're showing you the Williford building. Um, it kind of has that, you know, it's futuristic, but it ha- yet it has that like '50s look to it. Yeah, everybody in this, uh, everybody in this universe drives a '49 Mercury, <laughs> <laughs> but with machine guns in it. <laughs> Actually, that picture of Wilfred is uh, my me on the couch with the new Xbox experience. That's uh, my not so subtle way of saying it's awesome. Yeah, and not to plug another podcast, but one of our uh, fellow dudes, uh, Ken Morgan, on the two, on his Too Old to Grow Up podcast, I was just listening today, actually, uh, it was all about the new Xbox experience. It was really interesting. That's a good point. Really, uh, yeah, it really turned me on to some things I didn't know I could do now that with, you know, with the new upgrade or whatever. I can kill you all kinds of different ways on Gears of War 2 now. You certainly can, because I haven't bought it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking on the uh, on another page. Um it's actually two pages away from that Williford splash page where uh, they're willing Nixon in to get, um, I guess, operated on or whatever you could say. And there's actually, I'm, I never really noticed this before, but is I guess the machine that they're using to operate them is like run by dead babies and like Hershey's products. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a sack full of, like, Red Hots, Baby Ruths, and dead babies. <laughs> I don't think they're dead. I think <laughs> I think they're, uh, I don't know. I think the amniotic fluid is, like, <laughs> oh, being pumped into him or something. I don't know. My water just broke. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if you look at page 24, uh, it almost looks like a cathedral scene. Uh, Nixon is you know, in the Jesus pose above that giant table with all the technicians. It looks like there's like about 100 people in the room. And of course, each one is detailed and drawn out by, by Darrow. But, uh, I mean, it's just really, uh, I don't know, like, again, the, uh, the, the machinery just 
really reminds me of uh, of uh, Ghost in the Shell, like that that style of anime. It's just weird, like tentacly levers and and nozzles and things. You're not sure what they're for, but they look very nefarious. There's such a weird voyeuristic aspect to this too, and I understand the the crowd angle, but you know these scientists. It's almost like uh, it's like Caligula. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, this kind of like fall of ancient Rome setting that they have. Yeah, well, I think, I think the, watching. the main point of this whole book is what you're supposed to get the feeling that the robots are more human than anybody. Because, I mean, if you look at this, like, no one even, like, everyone's bored and picking their nose, and they're all, like, oversexed and over-medicated and just desensitized to everything. And the robots are the only ones that are actually going through any sort of, like, hardship or struggle. You see how that page is actually set up so it looks like a car engine? Yeah. That's, On the that's table. Weird. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just can't get over, like, you know, the millions, well, millions, you know, probably thousands of, like, all the little products. Like, you know, they're all having a burger. They all have a cup of coffee. They all have open sodas and there's cigarette ashtrays and – but nothing was skimmed over. Nothing is just like a blob of something that you can't tell. Everything is specifically an item. And here's a question about cyberpunk, and Jim, you might be able to speak to this. So this this came out in '88. Okay, so we already have you know the home the the personal computer at home and everything like that. I guess like is cyberpunk more or less like a cautionary tale? Like, uh oh, look out for technology, you know, and we all need to be you know like uh, the Unabomber and live in a cabin and go back to basics. Or is cyberpunk like Here's how cool things could be, but watch out. Well, I think it's a little of both. I mean, um, there were extra, like authors like William Gibson and Neil Stevenson or whatever, you know, their labeled cyberpunk, really just kind of extrapolated on ideas that back then were just theory and now are pretty much happening. I mean, our Skype conversation right now was part of, you know, would, would have been part of science fiction in '88. You know, I mean, the internet was a bunch of BBSs and. Uh, it was just basically an extrapolation of ideas. I mean, it showed there were some obviously story. I mean, there were obviously some stories that, you know, are cautionary about technology. But I mean, for the most part, I think it was very embracing of technology and like, look at all the great stuff we're going to be able to do. But you know, it could be used for good or for evil, like any any other tool. You know, I mean, you can use a hammer to build a house. You can use a hammer to put a you know a hole in someone's skull. So. I don't know. Um, but if you're interested in cyberpunk, I'd say you know, William Gibson would be the way to start. Um, what about like Snow uh, Crash by Neil Stevenson? Yeah, Stevenson, Snow Crash. Uh, Bruce Sterling is a really good writer in that, that area. Um, I wanted to draw real quick attention to the uh, the, the use of color uh, in this comic. It's something I'm really, uh, since we've been doing Watchmen, I've been really more attuned to. If you notice in here, I mean, the when he's um, being attacked, it's all like reds and yellows. And then when he's in the... Um, Operating room, it's all like clinical blue. And then when he wakes up with the family, it's all in earth tones. It's orange, brown, and yellow. And uh, it's just really, I mean, all this hyper-detailed line work is great, but then the, the color really brings out, you know, the, 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 the mood, you know, the, the background. So go with me on this. you got writers like Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, who I, will, I wouldn't call them cyberpunk. They definitely were... You know that high Arthur C. Clarke high science fiction back in the sixties and seventies. So is cyberpunk like an extension of science fiction from back then? 
like the whole Gene Roddenberry era? Well, if you look at the history of science fiction, the 40s and 50s were developing space technology, so there was a lot of science fiction written about the exploration of space. Uh, if you look at the 60s and 70s, there were you know LSD and, and psychotropic drugs and sensory deprivation. So you see you know, writers like Harlan Ellison and Michael Moorcock and Norman Spinrad you know, were spinning science fiction out of that. In the late 80s, early 90s, you see the proliferation of the Internet, home computing, um, you know, c- cyber technologies, um, people with artificial arms that actually you know, can, can grab and touch things, and people extrapolate from that. So I think really science fiction just draws from the times that, that um, it is in you know, and extrapolates from, from what's going on there. I was actually talking about the Billy, Owl, Billy Idol album, Cyberpunk, Jim. <laughs> But that's okay. Oh, sorry, dude. <laughs> Is that the one with White Wedding? Uh, I have to look. Uh, that's the only one I know. Near the end of issue one, um, we get a little bit of a, I guess, a dream sequence from Nixon, who's, I guess, supposed to. It it reminds me of Vietnam. Um, I guess that's kind of the what you're supposed to draw from it. And I where, get where um, are you stationed at? Saigon, man. I lost my <laughs> legs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to apologize to any veterans that may be listening at this time. <laughs> but no, I, I think I, what I always drew from this was that they're taking, like, dead people's memories or just streaming memories from other people into these robots. And I guess he's just got all these, like, crazy mixed up, just, I guess, just, like, reprocessed memories that he's, like, trying to run through when he sleeps that I guess he interprets his nightmares, but when he wakes up the next morning, his name's Carl Seltz now. Like, he's just a completely different person. And even, the, even in the graveyard, in, in his dream, you know, he's looking at the tombstone, and he's saying no name on it. You know, he, he's just kind of telling you that he has no idea who he is. Yeah. Speaking of robot dreams, that was also a collection of short stories by Isaac Asimov, and for guys like Russ and Ken, who are big Star Wars fans, um, that was actually illustrated by Star Wars conceptual artist Ralph McQuarrie. So uh, I'm looking at my copy on my bookshelf here, and there's a good old McQuarrie cover for Robot Dreams. And also, Robot Dreams is um, it's a wordless graphic novel by Sarah Varen. Um, it's about a robot in a boat. It's pretty cool. I like how at the very end, too, uh, when he's leaving his house, he says, Flapjacks and burgers. Becky makes it for me every morning, and I never get sick of it. Which so like I guess he's also programmed to also be a walking commercial, while he's not you know completely decimating everyone that he comes in contact with. <laughs> right. I think it's kind of obvious he's built for battle, and maybe he's just such a formidable weapon because he's he is cybernetic. That the only way they could keep him docile is to keep feeding him, uh, you know, environments and other people's memories and emotions. So he thinks he's a normal guy. I mean, he keeps saying that even in the second issue. You know, I'm just a normal guy. I'm just a regular guy. When it's obvious that he's not. I'm the kind of guy who likes familiar things. Watching the kids grow up, driving my car, seeing the same neighbors every morning, and and that's you know couldn't be further from his reality. Yeah, it's obviously it's like a tool for battle, and they're trying to keep him docile. That's what I got out of it anyway, you know. Well, I mean, it's pretty open-ended, right, as to really what he's supposed to be doing? Yeah, he seems to be, I guess, just some sort of assassin or just another tool for the Williford Corporation. He must be pretty important to have all those doctors and technicians 
you know, around the clock waiting to retool him at the, you know, slightest moment's notice, though, you know. It must be a pretty, uh, you know, formidable uh, investment there. Yeah, I always kind of got the um, the feeling that he was sort of the only one of his model, um, that he was sort of a prototype, and they keep putting it out on test runs, and he keeps going nuts and destroying everybody, maybe because he's too human or not human enough. Well, it's the, it's like it's the zombie principle. What is what else would a cyborg want to do but kill all humans? You know, it's like did did you really expect him? You know, to cry. I mean, he's a cyborg, man. Like Darth Vader and Mister Freeze. It's crazy. You know, I just saw in uh, G four the other day. There's a North Korean company that has registered the uh, name Skynet. So, yeah. Terminator shout out there. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess countdown to oblivion. Nice. <laughs> There's a um, Dan. I listen to a podcast called uh, Keith and the Girl, and uh, they have a sister site called Humans United Against Robots. <laughs> so if anyone wants to join the resistance, uh, check out that website. It's pretty awesome. Well, he does seem to be the only one that doesn't know what he is, right? Because the girl robot. She's trying to tell him later on that, you know, he's a robot. So she knows she's one. So maybe he is like the newest model or the experiment of, you know, trying to make him think he's human. Yeah, I think in issue two, that's kind of like the main focus is um, he gets tangled up with, um, I don't I don't know if they ever named them. I can't really remember. Um, well, I'll just call them old lady robot <laughs> and little girl robot. And uh, they, they, it, it uh, says in the text that she prefers to be called Blanche. Right, right. right. They also <laughs> refer to her as number two. <laughs> um, but they, uh, I guess they trick him into thinking that it, like she's being kidnapped, and they just go through this like insane chase through the city um, in an attempt to get him to this junkyard where they can convince him that he's a robot and he's their only hope to... Uh, kind of be free from human shackles through the course of the chase so he's kind of like the opposite of neo he's the savior for the robots to be free from the humans yes exactly right where neo was the opposite see i told you there was matrix stuff in this cool as you're going through the city, um, through the chase, and a little bit beforehand too you see how you know the streets all slummed out and everything my name's Christine. I'm a good girl. Help me, mister. You're overdoing it, is what Grandma Bot says to her. <laughs> but um, it's the same thing we saw in Watchmen and the same thing we saw in Batman Year One on how more or less this town needs an enema, in the words of uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker. It's quite a giant police car. Yeah, I think the uh, giant donut patrol police cars on this issue. <laughs> and they're going through the city. And this actually, uh, the two-page spread where they're going across the bridge and the uh, police car kind of, I guess, just rams into traffic is just completely awesome um, with everybody kind of flying out of the windshields and there's like a pig truck involved <laughs> <laughs> and a, uh, <laughs> a truck full of fish. <laughs> and a dude flying out of his windshield into the truck full of fish. <laughs> I like oh, the part ahead. where he's jump, he's trying to jump on Blanche, 
and she just points her gun directly up and shoots and gets him right in the neck. I think my favorite part of that double page spread that Dan was referring to is the one word balloon in the center that says oof. <laughs> There's this giant mass destruction and the only exclamation is oof. Plus, if you notice, again, with the color going through this uh, issue, too, it starts out very yellow because he still has the semblance. He's telling himself he's a normal guy. You know, I'm an insurance investigator. I'm this and this. And then slowly up to this uh, page, it's yellow, 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 and then orange and red. You know, it's you know reaching a boiling point as he fights Blanche. Do you think um, any artist could do this much hyper-detail, or do you think that because of the, I don't want to say lax timetable of the book, that Darrow can focus on this more as an artist. Like, could, could typical, you know, guy on a comic book do this, given parameters X and Y? Not, time not being a factor. I could only think of two artists that maybe could do this. Um, maybe John Cassidy or uh, J.G. Jones. Because they both have this hyper-detailed kind of thing going on as well. Do you mean capable of doing it, or do you mean is it possible to do this on a schedule? Not on not on a schedule. I mean, like if you were if if you were given you know the green light to do you know hard-boiled, you know, is this what everyone could come up with? Or like what I'm saying is is hyper-detail like a Jeff Darrow signature, or is this hard-boiled specific? No, he uses the same hyper-detailed style. And the other uh, collaboration he did with Frank Miller as well, uh, The Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. And it was very different from this, but the uh, the art style was very much very detailed, just like this. Clean lines. I have to get that. I've never read the book. I've only ever seen the cartoon, which was like had, like, what, like four episodes or something? Actually... It had uh, uh, nine episodes, and I have them all on DVD if you want to borrow it. Indeed, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, hyper-detailed for Alex Ross would be, like, Inside Planet Krypton and Kingdom Come, or the two-page splash when they're fighting by the gulag. But, like, do you know what I mean when I say there's, like, varying degrees? Because, like, hyper-detailed for Mark Bagley is completely different than Jeff Darrow. I mean, it's it's got to be like a labor of love for the guy. I mean, I don't I don't know of that many artists that just put this much into it. I mean, I would think anybody could do it, but you'd really have to want to. Yeah, no one's just doing this because you know they're getting paid for it. Like this is in, in incredibly intense. <laughs> you'd have to really want to put yourself through this to be able to pull this off. I love how he, he uh, you know, he's going through this confusion now, and he, he's had this unbelievable brawl with Blanche, and he's just claiming he's an, only an insurance, uh, he's from an insurance corporation, and you filed a false claim. We demand certain papers of disclosure. <laughs> yeah, I like when he has his, half his face blown off, and his reaction is, oh, golly. Yeah, soon he's like, i got to get to a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> The next double uh, splash page really reminded me of the Watchmen when you have uh, when you have Rorschach walking down the street and there's all of the uh, you know peep shows and and prostitution and everything. It's kind of the same idea in like you know on steroids, right? Well, I think this is the 
not the same page as you were talking about. It's further on, but same idea. Mine's better. Whatever. Yours didn't have a, uh, well, I'm not even going to say it because it'll have to get edited out. <laughs> There's lots of stuff going on on this page. In case you can't tell, this book is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> we can't say anything about it. We cannot. We we can only speak in very very vague terms. It's all smoke and mirrors. This episode. <laughs> Actually, I think the only thing on here that I could say anything about is the emergency donut police van. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's the guy with syringes in his head as a mohawk. Right. <laughs> didn't Jim say he used to have a mohawk? <laughs> I did have a mohawk, but I didn't have syringes in. Uh, <laughs> I like the Nazi giving everybody the finger. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the homeless guy. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like an awesome page to have, but I don't think you could hang it up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's not one you show your friends. Like, hey, look what I have! Oh God, it's a great conversation piece. You show that to your victims. Jeez, serial killer. Depends on what conversation you want to have. I'll put it on the ceiling above my bed. <laughs> but you just had the mirrors installed. <laughs> oh, jeez. I really like the double page spread here inside the Behemoth store, which looks like their version of Walmart. Uh, especially since we just had Black Friday the other day. Um, you got the super fruit and uh, all the other stuff going on. Uh, again, again, super high detail. Uh, they crashed right into aisle 50, it looks like, between 49 <laughs> and 51. You see the guy with the giant can of cola, the giant jar of tang. It's, it's so a slam on Walmart. It's really funny. There's a guy with a Duran Duran leather jacket on. It's Duran Duran versus Leonard 4. I'm looking at some products here. Just there's so many parodies on. One guy has the magazine logo on the back of his uh, jacket as well for some reason. And there's a cop in the upper right-hand corner or upper left-hand corner that has his gun pulled on the mayhem. Right. <laughs> like it's going like to Everyone's going to freeze. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down. I love how, too, like, unless people are, like, literally getting smashed or about to be smashed in this, they don't even care what's going on. Like it happens yeah, every day. In line. Yeah, they're just, they, it just doesn't even matter. <laughs> There's another guy picking his nose and a guy with the getting spit on. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite guy is waiting online on like the bottom left. He's got a long beard, a baseball hat, a jacket with the Russian flag on the back, and ladies' high heels on. <laughs> I never noticed that before. <laughs> oh, and there's a guy with a Homer Simpson t-shirt, too. How, how did my dad get in this comic? <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the uh, female robot who snaps the neck of the doctor who's trying to bring, um, I guess it's Carl at this point. He's trying to bring Carl in, and she's kind of pushing the revolution along or whatever they're attempting. I love the shot of... Uh... I guess Nixon or Carl, whatever, the protagonist, sitting there, uh, you know, against the wall uh, with his face burnt and his fingers burned off and all the parts, the random robot parts to his feet and a Coke can. He's like, what the heck's going on? I thought I was a normal guy. <laughs> and there's smoke coming off of him. He's all messed up. Spark plugs and springs. You know, the more I look at how Darrow draws these faces, the more it reminds me of... Um Frank Quietly, 
of, oh, yeah. of We Three and X Men and All Star Superman fame. Yeah, I didn't think of that until you said it, but yeah, there definitely is the uh, same kind of thing going on here. Because Quietly has this weird minimalist, but strikingly profound, <laughs> I guess that's the goal of minimalism, uh, approach to his pages, which I might add are starting at about 500 bucks each for All-Star Superman. Well, uh, issue three is basically the big, uh, the big finale. Carl or Nixon or whatever you want to call him, uh, is aware. We'll call him him hero protagonist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hero protagonist robot. Isn't that from Uh, Snow Crash? (laughs) (laughs) Um, it starts off in a, uh, in his house. And of course, his entire family are all made up of what you would assume to be robots, seeing as how the kids are handling weapons and talking like adults. But, you know, that could just be part of the story. Um, and uh, we move on to, a, uh, I guess, just a, a junkyard um, where Grandma Robot <laughs> and uh, uh, our hero here get in a fight and Grandma rips off her skin and shows that she's a robot underneath, too, and tries to explain, you know, you're a robot, we need you to help save us. And uh, it goes through Carl getting to the Williford Company, and basically he just makes a deal that says, and says, well, if you can just make me forget that I'm a robot, I'll do anything you want. And that's the end. So he kind of chooses to not know rather than to know I'll say this, that when they're in the junkyard and uh, Graham, Grandma Bot is up against the taxi or, or the car, that's definitely Frank Miller right there. I know that we've kind of been giving um, Daryl kind of a long leash as far as credit for the art, but I'll guarantee you that that's exactly how Frank Miller likes to draw, likes to see, likes to write women, just completely, like, pseudo-submissive and yet uh, completely in control of the situation. When she's all kind of has this kind of come hither stare with her robot eyes, and she's all leggy and whatnot. Can I ask a question? On the first couple pages there, where she's like flushing the guy down the toilet, pretty much, and the <laughs> old guy walks in. Why doesn't the old guy even react to that at all? I mean, well, I think that's kind is of he a robot as well. I mean, I don't think so, but I think that's part of you know what what we see when there's like a giant disaster, like we saw in Behemoth. Just if it's not you, who cares? Is kind of the mentality of everybody else on the planet. They don't really. If somebody's getting you know chopped up and flushed down a toilet right next to them, they just kind of go about their day. Right, and if if this is if if these robots are assassins, then you know they're doing their job, and <laughs> you know there's probably been plenty of people killed by the robots. If that's what you know is their purpose. Probably not. Doesn't come as too much of a surprise to see a robot killing somebody at this point. One thing I wanted to say, and again, it, it it's tying back to the Matrix that I never noticed it before until now that you've told me that. Um, you have the girl robot is blue, and Carl is very red when his skin is torn off. So you have the red and the blue pill of the Matrix. You know, and one of them is to go to forget everything and go back to the way you were in the Matrix, and the other pill is for waking up and knowing the truth. There is no spoon. Right, exactly. So now, With Joey Pagliantano in the Matrix, he he paid everything so he could go back and forget that he was in the Matrix. Exactly. So it's kind of like the protagonist of this. He would rather live the lie 
then know the truth. Right. Now, is the which pill is which? Is the blue pill forgetting? Because she would be promoting not forgetting. She would be like the wake-up pill, but I can't remember which one is which. I think it was the red pill gets you out of the Matrix, or maybe maybe not. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I always knew it, but I'm forgetting it right now. But it seems that, I don't know. Someone ate a pill. Out. I know that. Yeah. It was <laughs> yeah. a pill. <laughs> it strikes it. Just open up your medicine cabinet and start testing. Full deal. I like the skeleton in the refrigerator. Yeah, I was going to say that's... Is that Indiana Jones from the last movie? (laughs) Got caught in the fridge in a nuclear blast? Yeah. I just noticed this baby has a Crib Death 08 tour. So watch watch out for that next month. (laughs) Yeah, there's only a month left. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the the panel on page 23 really kind of reminds me of Black Friday this weekend. Um, my uh, wife was out shopping. So it's kind of the uh, Jan Murray uh, way here, the name of the street. Jan Murray was a um, comedian. He was uh, in the 50s and 60s, like a really minor, minor celebrity. I, it's kind of weird that they have a reference to him here. So this other uh, female, I guess, robot that was working for the company, finds out that um, our hero, who's actually number four, I guess, right? That's his number? Um, he came back, so she figures, I guess, there's no saving the robots now since he submitted, and she commits robot Harry Carey. Boy, who can? <laughs> I like how, too, uh, I guess Mr. Williford um, is the big guy. Um it's just basically like a tub <laughs> in a giant tank. <laughs> he's being, he's like, just, he drives with his brain. He's being fed soda the entire time. And he doesn't say, and even though he's like, I guess, the big villain in this book, he doesn't say a word the entire time. Can't talk eating. Yeah, well, pretty much. Either that or getting uh, rubbed down by his crazy wind-up naked women toys. <laughs> and mermaids. Yeah. <laughs> this looks like um like one of Dr. Wily's machines from the Mega Man video game series. It was not a happy ending. Nope, just goes back home to do it again. That last shot is like uh very like nineteen fifties uh television you know, Lucy I'm home. Except, for, of course, for the dog's uh, rear end and the light switch, which is actually the chef's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> That's totally in context. That's not even... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like how their door lock is made by Sony. <laughs> Makers of Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the interesting part about this is they don't really tell you. I mean, again, all through the comic, they, they show rather than tell. You know, after the big I said uncle double page spread, and everything else is, uh, you know, at, you know, okay, she walks among some giant spark plugs. You know, they show the uh, the the uh, the valve and the seal or whatever, and he's back to his uh, suburban home life. You know. Yeah, I guess he just went through one of those rebuilding processes again that we saw earlier. There's not as much detail on that last uh, close-up page of him when he first opens the door. It's kind of it's a little bit out of place for me. I always wondered what was up with that page. 
because the art style seems a little bit different. He knew he was going to be done with it. Just lost. Yeah, just, just, so. <laughs> I'm just going to slap this thing together. I've done enough for people. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> All the parts we couldn't talk about are the best parts. So. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the PG version. Uh, if you'd like the X-rated version of the Hardboiled Legion of Dudes, please go to... <laughs> What, what do you guys think? Everybody a big fan of this? or uh, I mean, I know I, I picked it up a, a few years ago when I was, like, just running through Frank Miller stuff, you know, like, after I found, uh, you all right there, Dan? You moving your eyebrows? What's he clicking like a madman over there? That's not me. I was muted. I was He's muted. in his willow for a tank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a little mermaid polishing his nipples right now. He can't talk to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess I... It's probably not real high on my Miller pecking order, but I did like it. I mean, I guess I like Ronin and, and that stuff a little bit better, but it, it's very different, you know, like like we just said. It, it's it's show me rather than tell me. Yeah, it's kind of like the popcorn movie of comic books. You know, it's a quick read. There's not a whole lot of thought involved. It's just It just slaps you in the face every other page, and that's it. I could see how you could definitely be out of breath just by reading this, though. I mean, <laughs> there's so much going on. It's it's pretty weighty. Well, I remember when it came out, it was an oversized comic, and uh, just being, I'm glad it was when it came out in floppies because I remember reading it and thinking, wow, this is nothing like Frank Miller had ever done before. And then after reading it, realizing there were a lot of the same themes there, it's like, okay, I could see where you know he, he tread this ground before, but definitely not in this way. You know, and um, the oversized uh, format of the tabloid uh, comic really brought out the, you know all the hyper detail that we've been talking about. Yeah, the trade annoys me because it doesn't fit on the shelf with the other trades. Yeah, it just kind of stands out there by itself. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as Miller's works go, I I enjoy this one, but I don't put it on the same level as like uh, Born Again or the first few Sin Cities or. You know, the Dark Knight Returns, which for me would be my, or Batman Year One, which would be like my top echelon of Miller. But I definitely would put this in the, in the middle there with Ronan and um, Martha Washington and things like that. I didn't see, I didn't like Ronan, but I did like Martha Washington. I thought, the, I thought the first quarter of Ronan was the best comics could ever hope to be ever. And then ugh, I just, I, I didn't dig it afterward. Now they're all. I know Ronan is definitely on the movie track. I something's telling me Hard Boiled has been mentioned too. Yeah, that that's up. actually um, that's what he's going to direct after the Spirit comes out. Wow, Frank Miller. So at least we don't we'll see it in all its. On it. <laughs> we'll see it in all its Sin City esque glory. <laughs> From the director and writer and everything else of Sin City. <laughs> Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, like we said, the it's so different. You know, this doesn't look like Sin City. It doesn't look like uh, 300. It's got a totally different style. So maybe uh, he'll step out of the box. Considering all the extras they're going to need for that movie, we might even get a chance to be in it. We could definitely be transvestite hookers in that one scene. <laughs> Jim can get his mohawk back. <laughs> I want to be the guy flying out of his windshield into the fish truck. Speaking of which, you just got in a car wreck this weekend. Tell us about that. Oh yeah, I hit a deer with my car. So <laughs> I asked him, "Where'd you?" He just rolled down the window and punched it in the face. <laughs> uh, but I you're all right, I guess. We're yeah, concerned. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. So it's Did all. Did you find out you were a robot when the skin peeled off? Yeah. <laughs> 
No, the car the car is just going to need like a new front bumper and headlight stuff. I haven't gotten it estimated yet, so we'll see. I might be a very angry person tomorrow evening. Did the deer run away, or is it mounted on your wall? Uh, well, it wasn't there when I went back. I assumed it limped away. It's not having a great time. I can tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> that, that wall's for human heads only. <laughs> so what did you guys do for uh, Black Friday since uh, that has gone and passed? Did any of you guys go out shopping or anything? I didn't leave my house. <laughs> yeah, I just did, like, Christmas lights and things like that. And I looked at the flyers 15, 20 times and was tempted, but... Well, no, 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 I, that, that's a lie. I did go down to uh, Best Buy really quickly, and I picked up that Rambo box set on Blu-ray. Nice. 25 bucks, right? Hell, yeah. <laughs> Can't beat that quality. My wife went out for the Black Friday uh, deals, and she got me the uh, DC Comics Visual Guide to Action Figures. Yes. It's a big, big coffee table book with a hardback, but I don't get it until Christmas because she has to wrap it and put it under the tree so I have something. So. That's a pretty cool book. Um, the only thing I would say is it's kind of been, it's in, th- that book, the DC Guide, is in alphabetical order. So, like, you're going to get all the Aquaman figures on a page or two instead of having it being, like, what I would think would be cool would be doing it to organize it by, like, toy line. Chronologically or something like that. Or something like that. But it's a, it's a cool book nonetheless. I haven't even seen that. I don't know how I missed it. I might have to take a truck to Borders this week. <laughs> Half Price Books is my friend. I find a bunch of great stuff there pretty much every time. I got, um, we went to Best Buy and I was totally jonesing. I've been waiting since the summer for the Half Price HBO DVDs. Well, uh, that wasn't the case. They had Honorage for nine bucks, but I'm not buying that. Sorry. But, um, I was kind of. No Jeremy Piven for you. <laughs> no, I've had enough Jeremy Piven. With Tell the Jeremy Piven story. What interview <laughs> did you see him on? Um, I don't know. He 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 did a show um, where he went to like Burma was it on, like, or travel? something like that. Yeah, where he was like trying to discover himself, and he's age <laughs> forty five and doesn't know who he is yet. Yeah, well, he's sitting in a middle in the middle of all these like like literally starving children, and like talking about how the food like the food problem there and like there's all this hunger, and he's wearing a shirt that says "Don't eat carbs." <laughs> What a D-bag. <laughs> and he's got a dot on his head, like a, um, I guess, like the idiot, like third eye dot. And he's, like, trying to stare at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, no Jeremy Piven for me. Okay. I don't seem he to think that he's acting when he's on Entourage for some reason. That's great. But um, I picked up a book called uh, A Year of Living Biblically by a guy named A.J. Jacobs. Now, to understand this book, you have to understand his first one. He did a massive undertaking, and he read the entire dictionary from cover to cover in a year's time. And he wrote about this. He's kind of like a a modern humorist, kind of like John Hodgman, uh, but not quite as hokey as Dave Barry. And um, I started it last night, and it's pretty funny. Basically, he reads the entire Bible, and his goal is for one solid year, like the dictionary thing, is to live uh, as closely and as literally to the Bible as he can as possible. So he has to learn how to play a harp and, like, you know, beat his wife with, like, a two-inch reed and, like, all these crazy things that the that, uh, For the Bible Tells You So. It's a pretty good read for uh, all you literalists out there. It's, it's pretty doggone funny. 
Well, I think that about wraps it up for uh, myself and my fellow uh, cohorts here, the Legion of Dudes, uh, for the hard-boiled episode. Uh, any comments, we sent to comments at legionofdudes.com. Or you can leave uh, comments at our threads in the uh, thecomicsforums.com, the greatest community of comics fans on the Internet, under the half-hour wasted forum heading. Gentlemen, anything you want to say before we check out this evening? No, I think that's it. Next week, hopefully, um, as planned on Thursday, will be Watchmen issue number nine. And we'll see you then. Oh, quick shout to uh, Watchmen fans. The uh, upcoming Spike Video Game Awards will have the first footage of the Watchmen video game. Uh, that's one of their exclusives that will be debuting. So I wanted to mention that because this show will be coming out about the time that one does. Nice. Oh, and then after Watchmen 9, it's what the dudes want for Christmas. In short, everything. <laughs> In short, for Dan, Rachel Maddow. <laughs> hey, listen. <laughs> She's smart. <laughs> Dude, I love that attractive. Her show, don't get me wrong. I just don't want to date her. You know, <laughs> I don't want to date her either. Yeah, I hear oh. you, buddy. Yeah, you're barking up the wrong tree there. I'm sorry, but oh, I know. Have a good night, everybody. All right, see you later. <laughs> good night. Bye. Where I come from isn't all that great My automobile is a piece of crap My fashion sense is a little whack And my friends are just as creepy as me I didn't go to boarding schools Creepy girls never looked at me Why should they?